Welcome back to Making Marriage Great on a Bushnell Project. It's been uh, taking a couple week um, break, if you will, to regroup and just really busy with other things and now trying to plan out the next few months. So we'd love some feedback from you guys that are listening as to what would be helpful or maybe just a question or maybe even a thought on a certain part of the Bible or something like that. But as Christian men, moving forward, I want to I want to kind of share with you a little bit from another book. So my book for this month is Reforming Marriage by Douglas Wilson. Every month I try to talk about a book a little bit, and most of the content of the month is not on that book, but just to highlight a few books that have meant a lot to me that have really formulated my thinking um, help me, helping me with uh, as I read the Bible and how do we press on with all, all life and in our culture. Douglas Wilson is a critical thinker. He's a man, he thinks a lot deeper than I ever will. And he can also be pretty sarcastic and he doesn't hold any punches. So some of you will really like him, some of you will hate him. People tend to either love him or hate him. So, uh, and I'm, what I want to read is from the epilogue and this will either whet your appetite to want to get the book or go forget it not for me all right so this is from the epilogue of his book reforming marriage of his book being douglas wilson and by the way he wrote this uh to give you an idea 2005 um no that was revised so 1995 and then this is the revised version from um 2005, so still 14 years ago, he revised something that he wrote 25 years ago. So think about that as I read the epilogue. So here we go. Our culture is characterized by men who are embarrassed to be men. We have in our folly wandered from the Bible's teaching on masculinity and its central importance for Christian homes. We have sought with all the wisdom of foolish men to replace the hardness of masculinity with tender, with the tenderness of women. The results in our marriages and families, and consequently our culture, have been nothing short of disastrous. Wow. Could probably stop right there, right? So let's move, let's keep reading. Men are bewildered with the world around them and with the responsibilities a man of God should bear in such a world. Some meekly submit to our cultural rebellion against masculinity. Others silently fume, not knowing what to do. Others pay lip service to the concept of equality as a means of exercising or yeah, exercising ungodly power over women. Still others settle for the scraps and remnants they are tossed. They do not think they have given up their masculinity all because they consume a considerable amount of time with sports, cars, and tractor pulls. But masculinity must be genuine, and it must be poured into the home. The castration of Christian men and the consequent feminization of the family, church, and culture began in earnest in the last century when the power of an an officious efficacious gospel of grace was abandoned. Efficacious is a fancy word for something that is effective. Okay, so let me read that one again. Uh, the, 
the castration of Christian men and the the consequent feminization of the family, church, and culture began in earnest in the last century when the power of an efficacious gospel of grace was abandoned and the substitute of religious sentiment was set up instead. In our doctrinal deficiency, the feminine response of faith was confused with the masculine initiative of God in the gospel. Husbands who are required in scripture to imitate the love of Christ were then taught the error that the love of Christ for his people was impotent. The the efficiency of love was then abandoned and the sentiment of loving was enthroned and men became important in their imitation of or became impotent impotent in their imitation of an impotent lord on the cross christ conquered sin and death and ransomed a people to be called by his name in short the cross was efficacious and the evangelical church used to bear constant testimony to that truth when the gospel is understood and husbands are exhorted to imitate Christ in his love for the church and their love for their wives, they undertake the imitation of an efficacious love. But in the last century, the church slowly drifted away from this scriptural understanding of the cross. The power of the cross to save sinners began to be denied. But for, evangel- for evangelicals, the cross still had to mean something. And as a result, the church began to emphasize the sentiment of Christ's loving instead of the uh, efficacy of Christ's love. Softly and tenderly, Jesus was calling, and evangelicals in Massey began to leave home. As a result, men, when they were now exhorted to imitate Christ's love for the church, had nothing but this erroneous teaching about Christ's love to imitate. The ruinous results are all around us. One has a lump in his throat, may not be experiencing the power of God, but he still feels something going on. It may be years before he discovers the fraud. The years have passed in our culture, and we have discovered that the fruit is indeed bitter. Adultery, disrespectful wives, harsh husbands, divorce, rebellious children, abortion, sodomy. Still, we have not yet come to understand what the bitter fruit comes, that the bitter fruit comes from a tree that we planted. We must recognize and acknowledge that our culture's current revolt against the Most High was one that began in the families of the church among those who professed the Lord's name. Salt that loses its savior, savor is trampled by men. Husbands who do not imitate the efficacious love of Christ will see their families trampled as well. Over the last century, this is precisely what we have seen. As we pray for the reformation of marriage, we must pray that the Christian husband comes to renew or make some basic covenantal commitments before the Lord. We must first decide that he will thoroughly acquaint himself with the Bible's teaching on marriage, headship, and the family, and that he will gladly submit to it and put it into practice in his home. He will find 
himself able to say without with understanding for the first time, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He will love his wife as Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her. He will assume the responsibilities for her loveliness. He will not place any responsibility for the spiritual, emotional, physical, and financial condition of his household on his parents, wife, children, church, or society. He will assume before the Lord all responsibility for the home he represents before God, and he will pray for the grace to stand. He will not allow his children to be taught, educated, or raised by men and women who live and teach in rebellion against God. He will remove his children from the government schools and educate them at home or in a godly school. <laughs> I told you, Wilson says what he means. All right, so Wilson continues. He will not take his wife away from her primary duties as a mother and manager of the home. He will bring her home to the children, the place God ordained for her to be, and he will encourage and love her in that vocation. He will establish her in the place where she can attain greatness. And when she has attained it, he will rise up and call her blessed. He will not mistake the love of his well, for his wife that God requires of him with the counterfeit niceness that abdicates his responsibility, responsibility for leadership. He will teach his wife the word of God and together they will teach their children. He will work hard so that his wife is able to clothe and feed the family. He will be devoted to his wife sexually, treating her with understanding and wisdom. He will set the tone of his home through his patience, reverence, dignity, kindness, and courtesy. And he will thank God for his mercy through the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I think that'll set the tone for the next uh, the next few weeks. And really, in many ways, that is why I'm doing this whole podcast in making marriage great again. And for you guys, it's for us men. One of the realities of the world that we live in today, the culture that we live in, is the failure of men to stand up and lead. It is not a fault of women, not at all. Women will stand and lead when men don't. So men, we need to lead, not by taking it from women, but simply by standing up and leading and taking responsibility. And so I want to encourage us as men that it may seem really dark sometimes. It may seem really dim. It may seem, We may not feel like we're intelligent enough or wise enough or caring enough or loving enough and in all those things we're not we're not but in Christ Jesus we can do all things he says that we can because he will give us the grace and the wisdom and the patience and the love and the joy to do what he has called us to do and if we trust him and stand up and do what he's called us to do then they the others will follow our family will follow our Wives will follow, and our children will follow. And it will not be easy. It will be hard. It is hard work. But it must be done. So we'll unpack this a little bit. I'll reference the scriptures that I know that he's referencing, although he doesn't call them out in it. But throughout the book, he does. And and so what I just read, epilogue. Epilogue means at the end, right? So it's the end of the book. And it's uh, his thinking maybe that brought about 
the book. So uh, we'll look at that a little bit along with a lot of God's word and what must we do as men to be the men, the husbands that God has called us to be and to be the children that God has called us to be. So we may be salt and light in this world and not be the salt that is trampled on. This has been long, so this will be uh, Monday and Tuesday's podcast, and we'll catch up uh, later on this week. God bless you guys.